Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Hey, today uh, we are in um, week, uh, week three of our series, I Have Come To, where we're looking at the purpose statements of Jesus in a way that he said in the lead up to, uh, to Easter and why it is that he came. In the first week, uh, Mick picked up this idea that Jesus says he came to bring good news. He came to not just to announce it, but to also to demonstrate the good news, a good news of renewal, of, of mission and life and hope and uh, uh, and so that was week one. Last week, uh, Pastor Mike spoke to us around this idea that Jesus came to seek and to save what was lost. And, uh, but also, just to put that reminder back onto us today, uh, last week as well, around how can we remember our own lostness and the fact that we too have been uh, found and let that be something that uh, stirs us and uh, into mission and to how we share Jesus with those around us as well. And so today uh, we come and today uh, we're talking about uh, something, one of the most difficult uh, sayings uh, that Jesus uh, said. And so today's going to be a whole lot of fun as uh, we look at one of, I think, one of the most difficult sayings uh, of Jesus. And that's what we're going to unpack uh, today. I don't know if you've had those moments uh, in as you've been reading through the scriptures and you're kind of going through it and then all of a sudden you take another look and you go, did I just read that? And it's kind of like a bit of a gut punch uh, and uh, that's what we're going to look at today. That's the verse and the passages that we're going to have a look at today. And if you're anything like me, you've read some of these verses before and you've kind of gone, is that really Jesus? Uh, is that really in the Bible? It doesn't kind of add up with some of the things that I know. And if you're really honest with yourself, uh, you may actually just want to kind of shelve this part of the scripture and uh, kind of just leave it out and uh, just skip over it. And so the passage we're looking at today is uh, Matthew chapter 10 and the verses will be around 34 to 37 is what we'll be looking at today. But what I want to do, though, is because to understand any of the difficult sayings of Jesus, it's really important that we understand the context. And so what I want to do is spend a little bit of time, first of all, just reading the verses around it as well, just so that we can understand what is actually going on. So in, this, in the start of Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is basically giving, he's just called his disciples and he just sends them out now to go out as ambassadors of him to represent uh, him to the world and to replicate his mission and his ministry. So that's what, he, that's what he's on about. And he calls the 12 to him and he says, right now, I want you to go. And so that's uh, where we're going to um, pick it up as, they, as the disciples are going out now as ambassadors to represent and replicate his ministry. So verse 5 we're kind of going to skip a few verses and if you're following along, I'll try to explain to you where we're actually at as we go through. So these 12, uh, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. 
As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. That's lovely. Next slide, verse 26. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. And here it is, verse 34 through to 37. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Verse 38. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. May God bless uh, his word to us today. Verse 34, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, I don't know about you, but if Jesus was here with me right now today, physically, okay, uh, if he was here with me today and he said, uh, Dan, why have, I, why have I come? Do you think I've come to bring peace? I don't know about you, but at least this would be my response. My response, my response would be, yes, Jesus, I do think you came to bring peace. Um, I do think that is what you came to do. Uh, and here's a few reasons why. In Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah uh, says, Jesus, that you were going to prophesy uh, that you were going to be one who would come and bring peace and that the end of your peace, there would be no end. So, yes, I do think you came to bring peace. And then we can, of course, go to Christmas time and every Christmas we sing songs, right, of the peace uh, that Jesus uh, will bring. The angels announce uh, peace on earth and uh, and on and favour, uh, uh, peace on earth to those on whom his favour rests. So yes, Jesus, I do think you have come to bring peace. And remember, uh, in the book of John, Jesus, you actually, John recorded you actually saying something to him, and that was, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. 
So yes, Jesus, I do think that you came to bring peace. And so it's jarring. It's jarring when we read verse 34 and Jesus says, don't think that I've come to bring peace because I did not come to bring peace but to bring a sword. So what's going on? Is Jesus mistaken here as he's, as he's having this conversation with the disciples? Has Jesus forgotten maybe who he is? Has Jesus gone blank on his, uh, on his purposes? Is he confused? Well, it's important that we understand what is going on here because none of that is actually true. Jesus knows exactly what he's saying. And Jesus says here, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. And so to be clear, when Jesus says the word sword here, he doesn't mean that he has come to start wars. Okay, That is not what Jesus means. This is not a verse that is to be used to suggest that Jesus brings violence or that he encourages his followers to incite violence. This image of a sword is less of an image about purpose as it is more about an image of outcome or result. You see, a sword is used to cut things like a knife is used to cut things in half. So what he's actually saying is that the good news of Jesus, when preached and lived out, will actually be something that will bring about separation and division. And this is important for you and I to know, as important it was for Jesus to tell his disciples back in the day. In other words, Jesus' call to trust him will cause division and conflict between people and within people. And here's the thing, this really shouldn't surprise us. Because when you put your trust in Jesus, you are no longer like the rest of humanity. If you are here today and you've trusted Jesus, you're not like everyone else. Followers of Jesus are those, you see, who belong to a different kingdom and live under the rules of a different king. And it is this distinction that is actually the cause of division. Have a look at what Paul says, and Mike looked at this last week, but in Colossians 1.13, Paul says that, For he, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. There's this move from one kingdom into another kingdom. That's as followers of Jesus. We belong to a different kingdom and live under the rule of a different king. And when Jesus was dedicated, it's great today, perfect timing, well done, Pangs, on lining this up with here. Um, but it's one, when Simeon um, prophesied these words over Jesus, this is what Simeon said, and can you imagine being Mary and hearing these words? This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And so it was always part of who Jesus was and his life and mission that would cause division and separation. And then in verse 35, Jesus gives us an example of how all of this will actually play out. You see, Jesus understood that the immediate effect of the cross and the change it would bring to those who believed would bring division even among families and those who we love. And he says this, A man, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies 
will be the members of his own household. Just let some of that and the emotion of some of that actually sink in. See, for some of us, we actually understand Jesus' words concerning division in the family all too well. Sadly, all too well. For some, when you trusted Jesus, this meant that some members of your family didn't understand you. Maybe you were even said to be an embarrassment or encouraged not to continue in your faith. For others of you, when you put your trust in Jesus, it upset your parents, relatives or partner because your commitment to Jesus demanded your time and attention. For others, sadly, you loved and raised your kids to know and follow Jesus, but they are not currently following him like you are, and this is actually cause for great pain and hurt for you, and it puts great strain on family dynamics and relationships. Or perhaps you're actually even in the room and you're questioning uh, I, I want to follow Jesus, but I know what this is actually going to take uh, if I actually chose to follow Jesus for my family. And you're actually, uh, you're not, the, you need so much courage to actually do that that you're actually wrestling with that and you haven't yet made the call to follow Jesus because you know uh, that it would be real and it would bring the division in your family. See, this is real. This is, this is challenging. We've all experienced this in some way with our own family or we've seen it in someone's family that we love. And even if you can't imagine it in your own family, you've perhaps experienced it with those you love and with your friends. Following Jesus has caused you and cost you relationships. Now, family division is especially real in many nations around our world where people come to faith from a, a Muslim uh, background. As a movement, uh, our... Um, our mission, global mission arm is called Baptist Mission Australia and they, uh, they send off, they raise and send off uh, missionaries into all sorts of the, well, the most least reached people groups around, uh, around the world. And what they do is they go over there, they learn the language, they learn or some kind of trade, set up some kind of business and they do all of that so that they can uh, have opportunity to be able to contextualise the gospel into that language or that town and that, um, those tongues and, and be able to share Jesus there. Um, one, I want to share one story about a lady called Anne. Anne uh, was in um, Southeast Asia and the Baptist Mission Australia team uh, went over there and part of what they did is they set up classes, um, a little business to be able to run English classes. And anyway, Anne came in contact, uh, saw a sign where they were advertising uh, for uh, English teachers. And so Anne walked past the sign and she responded to the ad and she got a job working then with the Baptist Mission Australia Southeast Asia team who run this uh, English, uh, um, teaching English business. Now, Anne was a Muslim. But as she worked with the team, she began to show significant interest in other activities that were happening around her. She became aware of a small Bible study that was being held where she worked. She was interested and decided that she would join a Bible study. She became interested in what was being studied and eventually she became a Christian. Anne was pregnant with her first child at this time and her husband was not a believer. 
Over time, as people in her community came to find out that she was now a follower of Jesus, the landlord raised the rent on their home so substantially that it pushed them out of that house because they could no longer afford the rent. Her family and the local community turned their backs on her and forced her family out of the community and their family had to relocate away from friends and family. To this day, their family and friends are unaware of where they live. Anne continues to share her faith but is very cautious and sensitive about who she shares with and how she shares Eventually, Anne's husband also became a follower of Jesus. Anne continues to work with the organisation, but it has cost her much in terms of her relationship with family and friends, as well as the relationship between her daughter and her grandparents, aunts and uncles. And it's interesting to know, too, that in Southeast Asia... Uh, Every citizen uh, has an ID card and their faith is actually stamped on the ID card. And so this means that your whole life is lived within the structures of your identified faith. It is a very difficult thing to change your faith. It's not just about changing which building you worship in, but you need to go through the proper government channels to have your ID card changed. So this is not something that you can do in secret. So this is just one story here of many that are actually the case with people who work with Baptist Mission Australia over in those countries as well. But it's also something, of course, I share it, because this is something that you and I live with and experience too. And then in verse 37, though, Jesus goes on and he like doubles down on this idea and he speaks about the high commitment and the cost of following him and he demands things here in this next verse 37 that other rabbis in the day never even demanded of their followers he says this um, anyone who not that uh, anyone yeah anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me Or anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy than me. And then in in, um, Luke's version uh, of this, Jesus says it a different way. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife or children, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Does Jesus really mean we are to hate our family? Well, not exactly. The best translation is probably the one above it in Matthew where it says, more than me. Um, that's the, it's actually a Jewish literary device that Jesus is using here, which is called more than. And he's basically, um, it's where you do a comparison of one thing to another. And he's actually talking here about priorities. He's not talking about hate, he's talking about priorities. And he's making, though, some remarkable and radical claims. He is saying that what matters most is actually allegiance to him. He's saying that I am worthy of greater affection, greater love, greater allegiance than any member of your family. You must love me more than your family, more than yourself, more than life itself. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you love mother or father more than me, then you are not worthy of me. Just let that sink in just for a moment. 
I think a helpful way to understand this is to think about the idols of our heart. Uh, Tim Keller, he says it this way around idols. He says, our hearts are idol-making factories that make good gifts from God, such as family, ultimate in our lives, thereby replacing God in our affections. What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Here's the reality. There are rivals warring for your heart, roaring for the affections and the allegiance of your heart. But your love for Jesus must defeat every one of them. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is claiming priority even over your family relationships. He's claiming priority over your family relationships. Don't come afterwards and say, Dan, that was hard what you were saying. This is not me. This is Jesus. Let's be honest. Our commitment to family can supplant our commitment to Jesus, right? Even good things like our family can become an idol that steals our allegiance to him. Family is just one thing. You might be even thinking of other things right now that are stealing your allegiance to him. But family can do. So just a couple of questions as we think about this. Where might you be putting your family before Jesus? Where might you be putting your kids before Jesus? Where might you be putting your partner, your grandparents? Have your kids become an idol? What might you need to change in your relationship and home life to give Jesus allegiance first and foremost? In your family? What might need to shift? Is there a change that's needed? Now, just to be clear, loving Jesus more than your family, this is important I say this, loving Jesus more than your family doesn't mean neglecting your family, okay? It doesn't mean neglecting your family. Some misguidedly use passages like this to justify neglecting their family and spending all of their time on the so-called Lord's work or ministry. This is a tough and radical teaching here and it could well sound like Jesus has little care for your family, your kids, your partner, when in reality, though, this is not true. It doesn't mean that you sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. And this can be a real temptation. This can be a real temptation, especially for people who are in paid ministry work. So pray for your pastors. Pray for your leaders here because that can be very, very real. Sometimes it is easier too to do God's work during the week than to love and to show up well for your family. And that's, that's true. That's not just true for those who are doing the Lord's work. That can be true for anyone who is working midweek. It can be even easier to go to work to do that because it's easier to do that than to show up and to love and to care well for your family. But what Jesus is saying, he is saying, by loving me more than your family, you are actually supremely valuing your family. That's what, that's what he's saying. You cannot love your family well or give them the attention they need if you are not loving Jesus more. It's like on a flight, in the case of an emergency, you're told to put on your oxygen mask first. 
um, before helping others. That's the idea here. Love Jesus first. And as you do that, you will love your family well. Because here's what I've learned. I've learned that our love for our family is in direct proportion to the depth of our love for Jesus. And if you put Jesus first, Jesus will make the way for your family to be looked after, to be cared for and supported. Loving Jesus first means that we will love our family better. Now, as we saw earlier, the context of this passage is Jesus sending out his 12 disciples uh, to uh, replicate his ministry and to represent him as an ambassador. So that's what uh, Jesus is going uh, is, is doing here in this passage. And here's the thing, when we live God's mission in this way, when we live his mission, it will test our absolute allegiance and affections to Jesus. And it divides more than just family relationships. But as we saw in this passage, and we'll see in a minute, we will also be at odds with the world. We will also be at odds with the world. You see, even with Jesus' loving, gracious and inclusive approach, Jesus caused division. And this will be true for you and I too. Have a look at verse 17 and 18. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. See, we should not be under any illusion that living God's mission, living faithfully as his ambassadors, requires a costly loyalty. It requires a costly loyalty. Christianity, you see, is not just an add-on. It's not just a tweak here or there to your life. It's not just a type of religious experience. Christianity is not just something that might bring more value and enhance your lifestyle. Christianity is a complete reordering of your priorities and your allegiances around the person of Jesus and his kingdom. Remember what we looked at in Colossians? We have moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son that he loves. This is not just a few tweaks here and there. This is a whole reordering and reorganizing of our lives around the one that we call King of Kings, the one whose kingdom we belong to. And as we live faithfully this way, the result will be that we will live at odds with the world. It just will. And this is why in verse 16, Jesus calls us to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Have a look at this uh, passage here. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. So Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus knows how it is that he's sending you out, what he's sending in, you into. But I love what it says in the Message Bible. It says, stay alert. This is hazardous work. I'm assigning you. You're going to be like sheep running through a wolf pack. So don't call attention to yourself. Be as shrewd, or as wise as a snake, and as inoffensive as a dove. You see, living God's mission faithfully involves us balancing both boldness and courage as we share our faith and sensitivity. We're to share Jesus boldly. We're not to shy away from our allegiance to him, but we're to do it sensitively. We've looked at this before. We've looked at 1 Peter, where, um, where Peter says, set apart Christ as Lord. Hold to your convictions, 
But then as you share him, do it all with what? With gentleness and respect. There's a boldness there, right? There's a courage there. But there's also a sensitivity. I want to show you a little, uh, a little uh, two-by-two uh, grid uh, that... Um, uh, John Tyson and Tyler Preeb uh, have put together, and our huddle group looked at this a couple of weeks back. But it just kind of maps uh, high sensitivity and or, or sensitivity and boldness, and uh, and uh, of course, you know, high sensitivity, high boldness. This top right-hand corner is what we're called to live out as ambassadors of Jesus: to live with high boldness, high courage, and be sensitive. If you've got low boldness or low sensitivity, as in you're not bold in how you're sharing or courageous in how you're sharing Jesus and you're not really caring how you do it, we're going to have an irrelevant faith. It's going to be, we're going to be irrelevant. If we're on the other side, the bottom right-hand corner, and we're highly bold in terms of how we share, but we're not being considerate, we're not being sensitive, we're not sharing with gentleness and respect, then we're going to cause offence. We're not going to be as, a, as inoffensive and as a, as a dove. If we're low boldness and high sensitivity, if we're so concerned about what people think, if we're so concerned about people, what people are going to say that we don't even put Jesus forward because we're so afraid of the pushback, then we're going to live compromised lives. We're going to live compromised lives. We want to be ambassadors who can be high in sensitivity and high in boldness as we live God's mission. So let me ask you, what quadrant are you in? Be honest. What quadrant do you find yourself living in? See, here's my suspicion. This is, just my, this is just my suspicion. But I think for most of us, we probably find ourselves in the top left, in the compromise space, where we're too concerned about what people might think, too concerned about what people might say. We kind of tread on, you know, walk, walk on eggshells with people. How can we live with a greater courage, with a greater boldness? I think our issue is probably more that, how do we live with boldness? I think we probably understand some of the sensitivity stuff. And so I want to challenge us. Let's not live compromised lives. Let's live as ambassadors of Jesus, knowing that division will come, and division won't be because of you and I, it will be because Jesus is the dividing line. The division will come because it's around him. But where are you going to put your affections and your allegiances? Let us be a people who don't let the fear of division cause us to compromise our beliefs. And why is that? Because we can trust God. God is with us and he said it all through, Jesus said it all through this passage to his disciples. Take a look at verse 26 to 31. He says, so do not be afraid. He's already anticipating some of the nerves. He's already anticipating some of the fear. And he says, don't be afraid for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What I whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Again, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. The words of other people or the way they receive you might be able to kill the body, but they can't kill your soul. The only way you can kill your soul is if Jesus, if your affections go somewhere else and are not placed 
on who he is. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And he goes on and he says something that he also said in Matthew 7. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Jesus knows you. Jesus sees you. He knows that as you step out on his mission in the face of division, that there will be fear. And he says, don't be afraid. I know you. I'm with you. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You are worth more than many sparrows. And I just want to close us around this verse in verse 27 where he says this, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What I whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Church, here's the deal. What God has whispered in our ears is the most amazing news that we could ever hear. It's also the news that our world needs to hear more than anything. This Easter... Will we be a people who speak in the daylight what God has spoken to us at night? Will we be a people who proclaim from the roofs what God has whispered in our ears? Would you stand with me? So as we, as we go out and we live God's mission... We can expect division. We can expect separation. We can also expect the presence of God to be with us. We do not need to be afraid. Let us be a people who live with boldness and sensitivity. Let's lead with those two things. Let's come and pray. Jesus, we... We thank you for such a great salvation. We thank you that you have saved us from, from sin, death and darkness. We thank you that you have brought us into your kingdom and that you love us. Jesus, that decision for some people has caused pain and hurt. It's caused division in family. It's caused division between parents and kids. And that's brought a lot of pain and strain on people. And Lord, so for people who are experiencing this challenge right now because of the decision that they've made for you... Oh, Spirit of God, would you just bring your comfort and your peace into their life right now, I pray. Wrap your beautiful, loving arms around them. Remind them that they are loved. And Lord, today, Jesus, you still call us to a costly life. And Lord, for those of us who are here today and we know that we've been making decisions that aren't prioritising Jesus or, the, this, or his kingdom. Spirit of God, I pray that for each of those people that you would 
you would just be speaking to their heart. You would just be calling them back to yourself, placing Jesus front and centre in their life, reminding them that you can be trusted and that idols can be broken down and that, Jesus, you can have first and front place again in people's lives. Jesus, capture their affections again, I pray. And Lord, may we be a people who just give ourselves to you anew and afresh today. And Lord, for each of us, I pray that as we step into this, into your mission this week, today, this Easter, Lord, may we do so with boldness and sensitivity. Lord, we want to be your ambassadors. We want to represent you well. We want to replicate your ministry and mission well. We don't want to live compromised lives. So fill us with gentleness and respect, but fill us with courage and boldness, I pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your presence with us. And we just want to give you all the glory and all the praise today. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Well, we're going to... Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.